The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. At 40 Strategy, we provide strategic planning consulting to help organizations realize and achieve their dreams. Ian, basically what we do is we help organizations and companies create strategic plans and actually measure the right KPIs for success. I don't know if you're aware of this, but only 10% of organizations actually complete two-thirds of their strategic objectives. And Yes, I'm so aware of that. It's painful. It is painful. It is painful. And so I think it's painful. It's crazy. And so that's why at 40 Strategy, your success is our passion. We want to get you into that A-level group. Um, that's why our organization is calling us to help. Not only do we come up with strategy, but with proven practices that actually work. Harvard Business Review says that if you actually do the right KPIs, you can triple the likelihood of your success. So contact us. Um, one of our emails to connect with us is catch, like catching a ball at 40strategy.com, or you can just go to our website at 40strategy.com to learn more. And so with that, we also like to do a shout out. Um, this shout out is going to go to Daniel Fagella, who actually introduced uh, the two of us, and I'm very grateful for that. He's the head of research and CEO at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. And you could also listen to him on the 30th episode that was released on August 31st of 2021. Thank you, Daniel, um, for the introduction to Ian Wilson. And also, if you check out Daniel, he is a um, crazy jiu-jitsu fighter. And so he can actually um, get people down. He has this beast video on YouTube that he gets somebody like two or three times his size down in about on a submission, about 10 seconds. It's pretty awesome. Um, so with that, we have uh, Ian. Ian is the, uh, is the managing director at Strategy 4AI. He's based, he's our first guest actually across the pond in Cambridge, England. He is the former global head of artificial intelligence at HSBC. Prior to this role, Ian would develop significant leadership experience as a board advisor, founder, CEO, an executive director from startups and scale-ups to major global organizations. His journey through the industry has taken him across three continents, from military AI to AI product companies, startups, and eventually defining enterprise AI strategy and operating models for global organizations. Ian has deep knowledge and experience of building AI centers of excellence, delivering large-scale production-grade enterprise AI solutions and making AI transformation clear and understandable to all levels of business. He's a speaker at global events and a video content author on enterprise AI transformation. And also, uh, he is a guy who studied this way back in the day. He has actually a Bachelor of Science in Artificial Intelligence. You are the first person, by the way, I've met that had this all the way back in the 90s um, with first-class honors at the University of Westminster. Ian, it is a pleasure to have you on the Measure Success Podcast. Thank you, Carl. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So um, one of the things we were joking about, which is fun and talk about like artificial intelligence and the way how things are changing, 
you try to send me something in US English and it came across still in proper English, right? Richard's from England. And so I got these uh, terms that was organizations. Some are spelled with an S, some with a Z. And it's like, of course, the US English were like, okay, it has to be spelled with a Z. But if you're over in England, it's properly spelled with an S <laughs> and, and, and center of uh, excellence. So anyways, I just think that is the um, humor, right? We find just our day-to-day interactions where things are different. Before we go off of that tangent, um, tell us, the audience, a little bit more about strategy for AI. Yeah, thanks. So <clears throat> I think Google's trying to be too smarter than its own. It's, uh, it needs to be in that case. So, so I run a small consultancy called Strategy for AI, and it's very similar to Carl. Its, it's primary focus is to get businesses thinking strategically about AI. And really, the, the focus is on <clears throat> helping organizations, first of all, understand what this is from, from an organizational perspective, from a strategic perspective, why they should even be using it in the first place. And another real focus is organizations are, are really great at executing, but executing the wrong thing. We're trying to get them to all execute the right thing. Or, so do the, the right thing, but do it in the right way as well. And that's a big focus. So we start off with, with a big focus on education and training. And that includes, we have um, a full training course available on our training platform that anybody can access, executive board members right down to project teams. And we follow that education up <clears throat> then with helping groups understand how do we build a strategy? How do we build a strategy where AI supports our business and corporate strategy? It's not something off on a tangent by itself? And how do we roll that in with what many organizations are already doing, which is building a digital transformation? And we build on top of that by adding data transformation, then ultimately AI transformation. So we work from training and education to strategy advisory, then through to helping groups build centers of excellence that is, is my preference for helping organizations actually deliver that. Um, whatever you decide to call it, center of excellence, center of expertise, of project group, through to actually then looking at what, what in my organization can we apply AI to? How do we do that? How do we build the program? And ultimately then, how do we deliver that to generate benefit? So we kind of take, using my experience, it's taking groups from the highest level of really looking at AI from an economic perspective, right down to actually delivering something into production. And, and that's quite a rare balance in terms of AI <clears throat> uh, consulting capability because most organizations will focus on one end or the other, but perhaps not have the ability to take a group from one side right through to actually delivery. And that's really the focus we have. And being small and independent, we're not tied to trying to deliver lots of boots on the ground or deliver a certain vendor products. We give independent advice. So we're focused on trying to be a trusted advisor as well. Okay. We're going to, it's interesting. I have such a broad audience, listen members, and let's just try something that I think has perhaps been not clearly understood. How would you define artificial intelligence? So the definition question is, is one that gets thrown around a lot. And what I tend to do is look at it from the perspective of business. What does business all, what language does it already use? So 
a lot of people will talk about AI and drop back to the kind of the technology aspects, which really for a business is not that important. It's like saying, oh, it's built in Java or it's built in, it's built in C++. It doesn't really matter. And so when I look at, um, if I get asked from a business, particularly watch the difference between AI and any other software, then just from that definitional perspective, and it's not really that important a, rule, uh, um, a definition, is that other software generally follows rules and it does what it's told. AI can learn from patterns to figure out the rules for itself. Now, that's quite a broad definition. And why that's interesting is that for many parts of your business, lots of chunks, you can define the rules. You Maybe you've got a production line. You can specify exactly what's going on. But for many of the most interesting areas, like making decisions, you can't, if somebody asked you, what are the rules you follow to make decisions, you couldn't actually figure them out because most of it's in your head. It's very contextual. You're using lots of connections to do that. So if I asked you, what is the rule to define a picture of a cat? You probably couldn't say what it was. Uh, there are too many rules. So that's the area where I kind of bifurcate traditional software from the new world of AI because it can figure the rules out for itself, which is a step-changing capability. Now, where do you put that in your organization? Is that IT? Is it data? Is it analytics? I tend to follow what businesses do currently, which is they call that analytics often. So I would say, you know, AI for me is just an extension of analytics. So that's a, a mindset to think about how that how you use that capability in your organization. Perfect. Perfect. And um, and by the way, for the listeners, I don't normally wear a tie. Uh, I mean, those who are watching <laughs> YouTube. But for Ian, I, I saw when we, we had a pre-discussion about being on the podcast, he like stepped up. So I had to step up my game. So thank you very much for having me more properly dressed. I think I actually have a presentation in Mississippi where I think I have to wear a suit and tie here later this week. And so um, thank you for getting me uh, prepped again to wearing a suit and tie. Uh, but, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so thank you. Um, so what are some of the, so before I'm going to ask one more definitional question, because you kind of described it a little bit when you're describing AI, but then we're going to start talking about some of the lessons that you've learned in AI, especially once again, since you've been really involved with it with a significant part of your career. Mm. So, so what is the difference between machine learning and artificial intelligence? So definitionally, machine learning is just a subset of AI. AI is the big umbrella. And it encompasses everything. Um, it's a pretty broad umbrella term. Now, what's interesting with AI than other technologies like robotic process automation is that it's an umbrella term that contains many, many things. Currently, the big gorilla in terms of techniques is machine learning or its big brother, deep learning. But they're just techniques. And if you're a business owner from the business side, you don't really need to know that. It's it's just like a programming language. All you, when I talk about AI to the business, I talk about capabilities. And a capability, for example, is the capability to read a document and understand what it's talking about. Now, how the AI does that, and from the business side, we don't care. We just care that we have that capability. Mm -hmm. And so what's important when you're talking to business is you know, throw machine learning out the window, throw talk about data science out of the window. It, it's irrelevant and doesn't matter. All they care about is what can it do for me? And that is a capability. And I, and I love already uh, how you've been describing a lot of this is, is 
you're understanding the difference between theory and practically applying, right? Because I think a lot of times we get stumped, right, on the on these big words and language. But the point is, what are we going to do with it? How do we really apply these concepts? So let's talk about these. What what are some of the key lessons that you've learned over the years in artificial intelligence? So so there, there's a number. And the first one I say are a couple of things that go together. I think I'm paraphrasing something here, but being early is not the same as being right, which follows on from being right is not the same as being successful. So one of the things that's plagued me, and you mentioned the the date of my my degree in AI as being, uh, I think I started that in 1993, um, but I'd, I'd started researching in 91, um, was that being early is, is not the same as being successful. Sometimes markets can take an awful long time to catch up. Um, so so that, that's been, I mean, it seems like great hindsight now that AI is the hot new thing, but given that I, I started so long ago, uh, it, it wasn't always so, quite so hot. So that, that's been a painful lesson learned. And often what you see is the fast follower is actually the one that gains all the benefits because they're, they're not going through the pain that I've gone through being kind of out there on the front lines actually defining this stuff. Um, so that's been quite painful. Um, that's in, you know, when we talk about lessons learned, I mean, it's, it's great to be able to dig into all that experience, for example, for the, for the training and education and strategizing I give to business. It's more a case, it's not the case of saying, here's something theoretically that I think will work. I'm saying, I've tried this, I've tried a hundred different ways of doing this that you won't probably want to try. They all failed. Don't do that. Um, I can show you the bruises and scars from doing that. So I can pull on that to say, yeah, I tried that. It didn't work. I tried that. Yeah, don't, don't do that. But here are the things that did, did go well. So I'm trying to basically extract some value from all of that pain. And I think a couple of other things in terms of lesson learned is it's easy, particularly when you're looking at the shiny new technology like AI is, um, to get distracted. Um, but what's important to focus on only what's necessary. So I look at this from a couple of perspectives. Um, it's not just the, the technology or the business perspective of AI, but I've been doing this from the perspective of actually building my own businesses. And in that respect, it's very important to focus on only what's absolutely necessary. So in terms of you know, building a consultancy business, for example, it's, it's finding those connections for people that actually want your service. There's a million and one things you can be doing. And in my past, it's particularly doing something really interesting like AI technology. You can shoot off on all different directions because it's cool and interesting and lose sight of what's the one thing you actually need to be focused on. So that's another one. I think the last one I'd look at, well, last couple, <clears throat> Um, and I think this one's important. Um, focus on where the value is and not where the attention is. So that, that's been, you know, some quite painful lessons for me to learn is that I've seen in hindsight that it's easy to, to think you know where the value or where, where the value is based on where the attention is. And you go and build something for a certain audience only to find that there's a different part of the value chain where really all the value is accruing. And 
what I've learned from that is to step back and look at that value chain first before I go and jump ahead and start doing something to understand where is all the value going to go? Because I could jump into an area that everybody's in and find everybody's you know, fighting over scraps that are left at the end of the value chain. Um, and that's certainly been true with, with AI because there are many areas where lots of people are fighting for really low quality work. Um, and, and there's really not that much value in there, but certain areas are where it's likely to accrue. Final one. Um, and, I, and this is key for my business, is businesses don't want AI. They want answers. And that's kind of the mantra of my business, because what it says to me is don't get hung up on the technology. Call it AI, machine learning, whatever you want. The business does not care. They want answers to questions, and that's what they want that capability to deliver. So if, if there's a mantra in my business, it's businesses don't want AI. They want answers. Yeah, I love that part because, and, and what, I loved also how you talked about the question of when, when are we creating real value? You know, it, it's, um, it's so popular today to say we want to use big data or we need to do a digital transformation or we need artificial intelligence. But I honestly think in many cases, people are seeing the shiny object, you know, that's been there. It's the next management fad, it's the next technology fad. But really being able to apply that information to properly use for their business is so critical because we could waste thousands, millions, you know, in some cases, billions, right, on inappropriate amount of information because it's not creating any value. And a lot of our audience members, of course, the, the majority of the world, right, is, is small to medium enterprises, you know, that, that they have the SMEs is the, is the nice short term for that. So... Give me an example of where an SME who, you know, they're never going to be able to compete, right, with your former employer, HSBC, or with Facebook, or with Google, or with those of nature in terms of the amount of data and information that they're doing from a big perspective. But what can a smaller SME organization, when should they consider getting into this field and yeah, actually spending money to get value? That's interesting. So. I, I was looking recently at the the uh, a, a recent chief data officer for one part of HSBC um, noted that he's managing a transformation and his budget is in the billions. Wow! For his transformation. Wow! So when you talk about not being able to compete with that, now here's the interesting thing: with his billions, he may achieve less than an SME can do with millions. Now, why is that? Because their real estate and their scope is massive and it's gargantuan. And so they have to spread that money out across so many areas that it's easy for an SME to think, oh, I can't compete with that. But actually, you may be able to. And very much a focus for my business is actually on SMEs. And what it's the focus there is to take the lessons learned from major enterprises and bring that to an SME. Um, now, what, while they have an advantage in scope, an SME has an advantage in speed and agility. And that actually, for me, is the most important thing with AI right now. And also that they can learn from the mistakes that the enterprises have made because they were the first out of the gate. And they made many, and I made many with them, you know, working at many of the banks, um, as an example. You know, one major Swiss private bank 
I help them deploy their first big data application and their first AI application together. So they'd never de deployed any of them. So right. of course, all of that was learning. So bringing that, those lessons learned, or, or rather bringing the things not to do to SMEs, it is important. But th there are some very simple rules um, for me. And it all starts with executive understanding because it is pointless for you to go out doing AI, the shiny new thing, without really understanding why you're doing it. Why is this going to benefit my business? And universally across, across the globe, um, everybody's run out like that. Let's do AI. And they're enticed perhaps by consultancies or, or others saying, yes, you can get some quick wins. Let's do some quick win use cases. That's the mantra almost universally ends in failure. And the, the point of the day with AI is where is the ROI? They've had, groups haven't found ROI because they've set off on the wrong direction. They've set off trying to do something quick, cheap, and easy. And AI is anything but quick, cheap, and easy. So you set yourself up from the beginning for failure. So what you need to do is try and set yourself up from, from the beginning for success. So that means step number one, your board and executives have to understand why from a business and economic perspective, we're even doing this in the first place. Where, where is our business going to go? And there's three key elements of that um, that I, I really build a framework around. One is optimization. That's generally operational optimization. The second is innovation. So how do we reinvent our business using this? And the third that almost universally doesn't get talked about is monetization. Um, mm. How can we monetize our data and analytic assets? And almost nobody's doing that right, which is odd considering when you look at the, uh, the, the market capitalization of a company like Google, 95% plus of that market cap is intangible assets. What does that mean? Data, data and analytics. So if you're a traditional business and you want to be valued like Google, you need to be able to monetize those assets and understand the value. So the second step is once you understand why you're even doing this, you need to understand, well, how are we going to get those benefits? Um, and that starts with this strong reality check um, to understand that this is, this is not cheap, easy, or fast. There are not going to be quick wins. Yes, you may get some, but don't start off thinking that that's where you're going to be because you're setting off on the wrong mindset. Um, and then you need to understand, you know, if you want to do this um, sustainably, scalably, you've got to put in place foundations. And that's typical of every emerging technology. Nobody ever wants to do that. They always end up having to do that, having gone through a period of doing it without foundations. So, yes, I understand the need to want to move quickly, and that's fine. You can do these things in parallel. You can start doing some biting off some uh, chunks while you're building the foundation. But if you know you want to build a foundation, when you do these little use cases or bite off chunks, they'll be in service of building the foundation as well because you've thought of that ahead of time. So that's kind of step number two is think about what are the foundational structures you need, put in place an organizational structure like a center of excellence. So you've actually got a team of experts. It, it never ceases to amaze me how enterprises go from one emerging technology after the other by tapping a project manager on the shoulder and say, you do da big data, you do digital transformation, you do IoT, you do AI, for people that are not experts. 
you would never go and try and get open heart surgery from from uh, somebody at a grocery store. Why? Because they're not an expert. Why does the enterprise continuously not use experts? It baffles me. Anyway, <laughs> step number three then is once you once you understand you know where you're headed, um, what's the road there? You need a plan to actually get there. So that's your strategy. And again, the key point with strategy is it needs to be in your AI strategy is something that's in support of your kind of corporate and your business strategy. It's not something in and of itself, generally, unless it's part of, you know, how are you building your foundations? But you say, what can AI do for me? If you're, if you're a business owner and you've got a strategy, let's say it's, you know, you want to um, expand your customer base. How can AI help me do that? in a way that other capabilities can't do, because of course it has to have a reason to exist. It has to be something that you couldn't do else otherwise in a way that's cheaper. And there are many capabilities it offers like product recommendation, market segmentation, all sorts of amazing stuff. But that's the way you look at it. We've got this strategy. We want to do X. Is there a way that AI can supercharge us getting to X? Um, So that's the strategy. Then last thing then is once you've got that, how do we look at across our our enterprise, our business, whatever the size it is, to look at each individual business area and see where can AI help us in a quote unquote use case fashion? What tasks are available? What decisions need to be made? What answers do we need that AI can provide across our enterprise? And of course, there'll be a thousand areas that you need to evaluate and rank because you can't do them all. But that's really the next key point is listing out all those items, valuing them, ranking them, and then executing is the final thing, which is what everyone would like to do as step one. Um, but really, it's not. It's, it's the end of the road. So just be methodical. Use a framework. Um, it's not really rocket science. But again, so many people just want to chase the shiny object, start delivering something immediately, which I get, I understand. And then they come back in a year, two years and say, where's the ROI? Why did we waste all this money? You know, like your business, you've seen this a thousand times, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's, yes, I have multiple times and uh, it's worse. And I can't say I've not been guilty myself, right? I've been excited of the shiny object, right? That That's there. But, but from a strategic perspective and from an ROI perspective of measuring success, we have to figure out what it's going to do, whatever it is, whatever that's, whatever that goal is, determining strategies to actually get the outcome that we're actually trying to get to in the first place, right? The, the outcome of AI for the purpose of AI is foolish, right? If, if it's not actually solving a problem, it's just information at best. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's even interesting when you brought up Google, you know, Google was floundering in its early years, right? It had a really cool website that we can search faster than any other place we ever had beforehand, mm-hmm. but they didn't know how to monetize it. Mm-hmm. And until they figured out how to monetize it, all of a sudden the value got created, right? And now therefore it's one of the most successful companies in the world today. And, and that I think is really fascinating of, of once again, of learning to see where we can discern, have it. So, so from your perspective, it's, it's common mm-hmm. and important, it sounds like, that organizations have to have something that they're measuring some success and I think in your case, you're saying often there should be an, a return on investment for doing it. Is that fair to say? So, so there's a number of elements. <clears throat> Actually, the, the, the most interest one, interesting um, point I found with 
with any type of organization is even if they've identified where they're headed, you know, we want to be the next Google, we want to do whatever. And they've identified what's between where they are today and where that nirvana is, is what I call the fog of war. Mm. And so their problem is not often one of desire or even one of budget. It's one of risk because they can't see between where they are and where they want to get to. And that's logical from an executive or a board's perspective is they might know they want to do it. <clears throat> they might even see the benefit, but there's too much risk. They can't just go all in because that would be too risky. And for me, the key then is, as a consultancy, is to de-risk that journey by continuously getting rid of that fog of war and giving a business a, um, a methodology to, to go de-risk by de-risk. So, so the single fundamental focus is de-risking at each stage because every time you de-risk, the company gets learns, gets more confidence, and there's less threat ahead. And then that, for me, is the fundamental problem with new technologies is because every organization I talk to, they're so keen on using it, but where, how, when, what, it's all risk in front of them. And so when we come to talk about foundations, that becomes a problem because it's a lot of money and time and effort to build that. And what comes at the end of it? Well, you can't exactly see because the fog of war is there. So where we're looking at, there's many measures of, of um, <clears throat> success, but for me, probably the top level one is that continual de-risking because that gives you confidence to move further forward at speed. Having said that, um, I kind of break um, measures of success in, into two, two layers. One is from the enterprise level. The other is from the level of an actual AI use case, which is what people typically think about when they think about value or success from AI. They think about the individual uh, use case, which as a point of reference that I mention whenever I can is an AI use case is not a customer journey. It's not a business process. It's a task, an individual task. Now, if anybody takes away anything from this discussion, think about tasks for, for AI. Um, it doesn't live, it doesn't do everything by itself. That's really important. But in terms of you know, success, so from the enterprise level, I think there's three elements, adaptability, resilience, and, and assets. So adaptability for me is actually one of the, is, is probably the key driver because what you're trying to do fundamentally as, a, as an enterprise, you think you, you know, you're, you're just there to deliver your products and services, but you're actually not. You're there to adapt to the market because it changes. It, it's not static. A business is not in a static environment. It's in a dynamic one. And so how well and how quickly you can, well, it's really about how quickly, how quickly can you adapt to changes in the market? AI can help you do that, particularly if you think about it, automating things like making decisions that are really complex. So enterprise adaptability is, you know, how quickly, efficiently, and profitably the enterprise can, first of all, identify and then take advantage of opportunities in the market. So if you can move on a dime like a startup can, you can quickly take advantage of those opportunities. As we mentioned earlier with HSBC, for example, or any other organization of that size, that it's very difficult for them to move. You know, they're like the Titanic. It takes a long time to move. So they're not really able to adapt to market changes the way an SME can. So that's where SMEs can focus and win. Next one is resilience. And we've seen this with the pandemic. 
the companies that won were those that were resilient. And particularly, you know, I note I saw, for example, Goldman Sachs saying that um, 90 or 95 percent of their staff were working from home and, and it didn't interrupt their business at all in any way because they were so advanced in terms of their digital transformation, um, which is entirely unsurprising and given the nature of their business. But this is really, you know, to look at, to step back from resilience, it's how quickly, efficient, efficiently, and with the least drop in profit, yes, I'm reading this, the enterprise can identify and then avoid market shocks. Um, so this is kind of the flip side of agility. It's where we've got a market shock and how can we protect ourselves from that? And again, protection is all about the speed of how quickly you can do it. Because if it takes you too long, you're already dead. If you can do it quickly, you can protect yourself against those shocks. And again, that's all coming into optimization and automation where AI can help with that. And so how well you can do that for me is, is an overall measure of success. And then the last one, and I mentioned this before, is looking at enterprise assets. So this is looking at really building your enterprise value. And so many um, businesses right now would have, you, you could sit, to, to most enterprises and small SMEs, for example, <clears throat> you could ask somebody in that group, how much is the value of all the chairs in the business? And somebody probably has that information and can give you that number for chairs or pot plants or coffee. But if you ask any enterprise or SME, how much is the value of your data and your analytic models? Nobody would know. And as I mentioned from, you know, from the S&P 500, 80 or 85% or more of the market cap of those companies is made up of intangible assets, which is mainly data. So the majority of perhaps the value of your entire business, probably nobody can actually tell you, which to me is amazing. So the third piece of this uh, measuring success is how well can you measure the value of your data? Um, and how, many, how much can you value the, the value of your, your, your analytic assets? So that, that's kind of the third part. <clears throat> There's more on use cases, um, but I'll, I'll pass it over to you at that point because we can maybe step through that in the second part. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and it's, this has been fascinating. I, I, you know, it's interesting. One of those pieces that um, I've heard beforehand when it comes to especially smaller organizations, even consultancies, is your asset growth or value is your email list. Right. right. You know, there's an example of right where you're at, it's like, well, how is that a value? Well, by definition, right, if you have a continuous connection with those who want to be connected with you and you provide value, you know, there should be theoretically a measurement where where those assets, meaning an email address, is ultimately a buyer who might be willing to either share or give or provide or actually buy directly from you. And, and that's the you know part of the value. And it, it is interesting sometimes, but People often, they just go, well, it's just an email list. And they're not really seeing how it could be driven and being done for more value. Going back to, you know, Google had all this information and they didn't know how to monetize it. Going back to that original point. Um, for time's sake, Ian, I, I, I could see we can go on for hours, especially because yes. we both love strategy. Both love I'm going to flip this around to the personal side and we'll just kind of touch it briefly here. Um you know, you are a busy person and, and you've been involved in a lot of different aspects. You are clearly keeping on top of your game when it comes from the business side. How on the personal side are you 
keeping yourself together, so to speak, to, mm. to stay away from the stress and keep up at night to read all the things that you have to do. And so to give, give the audience a little bit of a, a feel for what you do on that <laughs> <Yeah>. side. <laughs> um, keeping it simple, enjoying what I'm doing. I think those are a, co- a couple of the key points. <clears throat> you know, very much I look at myself as a work in progress. So, <clears throat> you know, perhaps I look at personal life in a bit of a business perspective, but I think that, that that's quite typical. But, you know, I, I, you gain the hindsight of, of having done many different things and, and uh, trying to learn from that. So life now is a constant educational process. It, it's great if you actually enjoy learning, which I do. Um, so I enjoy keeping on top of things, which I think is important. But I try and also, you know, where possible, keep on top, focus on my strengths and try and get support for where I've got weaknesses. So, you know, working with partners, for example, that are great at doing things like sales outreach, which is not really my thing. My thing is understanding the strategic aspect and helping those business. But how do I, how do I reach out to those? I'm not great at that. So how to de-stress? Well, try and help get people to help you do the things that you're not great at. Focus on the things that you are. So that, that, that becomes good. Um, but I also just try and stay grounded and simple. Um, just get the basics right. Um, eat well, exercise, um, you know, sleep well, keep a balance in life, try and have a sense of humor so you're not keeping things too too serious. And it does help having a family because that keeps you focused on what's important. Um, you know, depending how old you are, that's, that, can be, that can be different. But certainly it does take you out of focusing on the wrong things often because you've got responsibilities um, You've got accountability that you need to keep focused on. So, I mean, those are, you know, for many people, for most of human existence, those have been the basics. And I I think it's easy for us in our 21st century life to get distracted by a million and one different things. But these things that are basic and simple have worked for us, you know, for all of the rest of previous time. So you don't need to reinvent this stuff. It was already there. So I find going back, keeping to those basics is what keeps me kind of sane and focused and, and going along, along a pretty straight path. Perfect. And so is there one thing in particular that you're working on right now? You're like, man, I, you mentioned your, your work in progress. I think that's, that's a wise statement. We all are work in progress by definition. The question is how well we're working at it. Um, mm-hmm. Is there one thing of, of, from an exercise or reading or, personal life thing like you're trying to focus right now to get to get better at and and just kind of curious on that side um i would say um oh that's a good question what am am i focused on there's probably a number of aspects um just i think reaching out to more people um, building on more people, building those team connections. Um, interestingly, that's been something I've really focused on during COVID. And this virtual living has helped me do that and build a lot of partnerships with different people. I, again, this is part of it is just to focus on where I'm not strong, but also part of it is just to build those connections and understand that from learning from other people, like this, the discussion we're having here, you know, lots flows from that. Lot it gives me support. It gives me, you know, encouragement that perhaps I'm on the right direction, or, or I can learn that. Oh no, actually, 
know, they've got some good points that you might want to think about focusing on different areas and seeing how other people are doing things too. So I think that that's been uh, probably a, a focus is reaching out as much as I can to other people to build, build a bit of a stronger connection, which is ironic in the COVID virtual age. Uh, it's, and it's wise too. I think that I think that's a really good uh, suggestion. All right. So we're now on the book stage. Uh, yes. You gave a great list. How about just, just run through, because um, I, 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 you have the two business ones you mentioned, run through, uh, you don't have to give like a whole uh, really actually explanation. What, what are the six books that you recommended to the audience that they should consider? Yes. So I wanted to put together a bit of a, a, a few different perspectives. So I broke these up into business, kind of science focused and fiction too. So business, uh, and these were all books that, that really made me step back and think, oh my God, that's a different way of thinking. So it wasn't just something new, but a different way of thinking. Two business books that are, are closely related. One is called The Four Steps of the Epiphany by Steve Blank. And that was followed up by his, you know, almost disciple. Eric Reese, both of those guys I've met and talked to, who produced a book called The Lean Startup. And those were two kind of very foundational business books because they were talking about how to think, particularly from a startup perspective, but it applies to any business. So those were ones that really made me step back. From a science perspective, one book that many people may have heard of is A New Kind of Science by Stephen Wolfram, um, 1,200 pages long absolutely stunning book and the kind of thing that you should try and read end to end and would really kind of blow your mind at the end of it. Um, Another is called Zen and the Brain, a really obscure book, but it helped me understand some foundational aspects of how we think and also put me on the path to learning about Zen meditation, which I would love to do, but I don't have the patience. (laughs) (laughs) And two two books about fiction focused on science fiction, which is not surprising given I'm a kind of a, a bit of a techie. One is Snow Crash, came out in 1999 and gave me a vision of the future that actually is very similar to what we see now, but again, made me think about things in a completely different way. Second one is The Three-Body Problem, which um, uh, uh, I forgot the, the name of the author now, which I shouldn't have, but gave me two interesting perspectives. Uh, from a, a perspective of thinking about science from a completely different way than I'd ever thought, but also it was written by a Chinese author. So it gave me a perspective of life from the perspective of someone from China, which to me, reading authors from completely different backgrounds gives you a completely different way of thinking. And I think all of those six books had that key theme running through them. They gave me a different way of thinking. And that for me is a real asset to have. So Ian, where can people find you uh, to We'll learn more about you. Yes. So you can find me a couple of few places, um, LinkedIn. So just search for Ian Wilson um, and you'll find me. Um, but if anybody's interested in taking my masterclass in business AI, that's uh, a thousand minutes and a thousand, more than a thousand pages of presentation, 15 modules. And you can find that at courses.strategy4.ai. Or if you just come to strategy4.ai, you can find me there as well. That's perfect. Thank you so much for sharing that. Ian, it has been a true pleasure and learning experience to have you on the Measure Success Podcast. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me, Carl, and thank you to the audience. Absolutely. And to everyone else, we're wishing you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. 
Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.